You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Robbie Samuels hosts the On the Schmooze podcast. Robbie, tell listeners what to expect from the show. Since 2015, I've interviewed entrepreneurs who overcame challenges to achieve success in their field or industry. Tune in to On the Schmooze to listen as I ask deep questions to elicit untold stories about leadership and networking. And where can people subscribe? Find the show at ontheschmooze.com or on marketingpodcast.net or just search for it wherever you get your podcasts. You heard them. Go subscribe. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Hello and welcome to Uncorking Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin. And today, I'm very excited to introduce you to Marilyn Simon Rothstein. Marilyn is the author of Lift and Separate and Husbands and Other Sharp Objects. She is the winner of the Star Award presented by the Women's Fiction Writers Association for Outstanding Debut. Her third novel, which she's here to talk about, is Crazy to Leave You, and it will be published on May 24th. Here today to talk about her career and that latest novel is Marilyn Simon Rothstein. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Marilyn. Hello, Mike. Hello. Well, nice to see you. Uh, Marilyn, I'm going to ask you the same question I ask everybody to kick us off, which is, uh, Marilyn, where does your story as an author begin? In the womb. <laughs> I um, was born with a pen in my hand, and um, I always wanted to be a writer, mostly because I don't think I'm qualified to do anything else. This was assured to me by getting a 56 on the math regents in ninth grade in Queens and uh, then picking a college where I could take wherever I want, whatever I wanted. So I didn't have to worry about anything but English history and writing. It was an aversion of math that kind of set you on. Not an aversion, but it was an aversion to everything but writing, eating and napping. Okay, Perfect writer's life. But when did you start, you know, writing seriously? I mean, I know you had a career in advertising. Were you a copywriter back in, in the day or? I went, to, I majored in journalism at NYU. I got out and got a job with Seventeen Magazine, where I was, where I was, take a look at this, Dear Beauty Editor. I wrote Dear Beauty Editor. So for all the women out there, if you ever read a beauty article in a magazine, do not believe a word of it. It's not going to work. And after 17, I decided that I was sort of tired of making $105 a week. So I got into advertising. And from there, I opened my own agency up in Connecticut. And I just always wanted to write a book. 
And so I wrote as I owned the advertising agency. But then I just reached a point in my life where I realized that I wanted to publish a book. It wasn't even about writing a book at this point. And so I started working on a manuscript I had, which was the original Lift and Separate. And uh, 10 years later, I got Lift and Separated, published by Lake Union. And now I'm on my third book, which you're not going to believe this. I happen to have it here. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Crazy to leave you. I'm shocked. (laughs) On Amazon. (laughs) Anyway, so that's yes, that's it. And um, I assist produced a daughter who's a playwright and a television writer and another daughter who's going to be a novelist. So it really runs in the family. Right. Now, have you prepared them for the less than lucrative world of novel writing? Oh, they're, they're totally aware. Yes, they are totally aware. <laughs> yes. And my husband's a CPA. And he likes to say we would have made less money if she never wrote a book. We would have made more money if she never wrote a book. Right. Because, you know, as in the advertising business, I thought to myself, how can I make less money than in advertising? And this is what I came up with. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's cost. Well, tell me the journey for that first book, you know, what, what eventually became Lift and Separate. Tell me what you learned about yourself during that process. Oh, should I tell you how I got my agent? Oh, sure. That's okay. You know. This is a great story. So I finished Lift and Separate and I start sending it out and I'm getting people asking for the whole manuscript. But then after they ask for the whole manuscript, that's as far as we get. So I'm thinking, I'm 63 years old. I'm not going to live as long as this is taking, okay? (laughs) Like people are saying things like, send to one literary agent at a time. You know, so that you send to one literary agent, they're going to hold it for six months. And, you know, six months times what, 10? I'm like, you know, I'm not going to make it. So I decide what I'm going to do is I'm going to, and I didn't know anybody in the business at all. So I decided what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and go to the library and find the five agents who to me seem like most likely. I'm going to Xerox the manuscript, which is a big no-no. I mean, (laughs) nobody wants to see it. They'd rather die than have you arrive at their door. And I'm going to go deliver it. So the day comes and I'm going to go deliver it. And I sort of lose my nerve. And my husband's going down to the village where five of them are located. And uh, I say, uh, would you mind dropping my manuscript off? And he really isn't a sharp object like the name of my book. So he agrees to go. He goes downtown. I'm like walking around like a turtle nervous wreck waiting for him to come back. He comes back and he says, it doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. And I'm like, this is a guy whose glass, his glass is overflowing and I don't have a glass. (laughs) And now he's telling me this is not happening. So this is bad. I said to him, what are you talking? How can you say that? All you did was bring it to the door. He said, well, there's one you're definitely not hearing from. And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, he died last week. Oh, no. (laughs) So I have one manuscript left and I look at it and it's to an agent in Montclair, New Jersey. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not driving to Montclair, New Jersey. She's probably dead, too. (laughs) So I mail it and we go on a trip to Scotland. I get to Scotland and I get a email. She wants to represent the book. No kidding. And then, you know, that's just it from a slush pile from a slush pile. Unbelievable. Because, yep. you know, it's just rarely happens that way. Right. I mean, it's, you know, you're querying, you're getting rejection letters. You go so far as to send a manuscript that hasn't even been requested. 
Yeah. That's great. It's just you must have seen something in there that the money. <laughs> <laughs> the chocolate from Godiva. I don't know. She's wonderful. I was very lucky. And from that, I got a two book deal with Lake Union, which is the book club fiction division of Amazon Publishing. And now this is my third book with them. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It's been, it's been fabulous. How did your, your writing process change, if at all, over the course of these three books? I think I wrote very tight at the beginning because I thought like every word, I didn't have the concept that anyone was going to change any of this. You know, in my mind, it was like I was going to write a book and then someone was going to take it, turn the semicolons into ands and publish it. And then I come to find out that this is not anything like what it is and that I am going to spend a lot of time reworking this book. So now that I know this on the third book, for example, in the first book, I spent an inordinate amount of time perfecting my first sentence because, you know, the first sentence is it, right? The first sentence of all three books is not what I started out with. All three wound up being picked from someplace in the middle of the book. So I have a different approach in terms of, I write it like it's a puzzle. I write what I feel like writing at the moment. And at the end, I put it all together. I don't write in order at all. Yeah, yeah that's definitely a gift being able to write non-linearly. I was talking to, to somebody yesterday who was a big you know, Hollywood guy, script writer, lots of TV and, and movie credits to his name, just did his first novel. And I was asking him, I said, hey, you know, how do you approach writing? And he, you know, he and I'm very much like this, too. He can't write the next chapter without having going back to the previous one and perfecting it and kind of mm-hmm. writing in order. And I, we, were, we were coming to the conclusion that, man, and it really is a superpower to be able to write nonlinearly because that's but that's um, but it seems like you've been able to, to crack that nut. Well, I don't know. I think because coming from, you know, you always want what you don't have kind of thing. I think it's a superpower to be able to write an outline, (laughs) you know, which I can do. So um, I sort of look at people who do it linearly and can write an outline and can write out the entire story to sell it before they even write it as, you know, I worship those people. (laughs) So it's sort of the opposite for me. Here's something I'm curious about, just because you've had a career in advertising And it's interesting. I talked to a lot of authors and I asked them, you know, what's the most challenging part of the process? And, you know, oftentimes they say to me, hey, I used to think that writing was the most challenging part. Turns out writing's the easy part. It's promoting it and getting it in front of people. That's more challenging. How, if at all, have you leaned on into your career in advertising to help with book sales? Honestly, I do not know how someone without a marketing background can put out a book. I mean, even if you're even if you have a publisher who helps you, you know, who's behind you 150%, let's say, which doesn't really exist today from what I hear from other authors, not having a marketing background is a real problem because you have to do that work. And like this, I've been, you know, let's say for the last six weeks, all I've been doing is, you know, being on social media and, you know, meeting lovely people like you and, I think coming from an advertising background just makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Especially since I had my own agency. So I'm used to promoting almost anything. I I can promote widgets. So it is a little harder promoting yourself than it is promoting the widget. Mm -hmm. But I have solved that. 
And here's how I solved it. I am shameless. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, you know, I, I asked 25 authors for blurbs, you know, so I'm shameless. And uh, I think it sounds crazy, but you almost have to be. Yeah. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. This is not something for sort of the, um, the faint of heart. And it's not for someone who's necessarily shy. Although I've, you know, there's a lot of introverted authors out there because, you know, writing is a very solitary process. But when it comes mm-hmm. to promoting it, you really have to step outside of that, of your comfort zone and put yourself out there. I mean, it's very much like launching a product. So if I put my marketing hat on, you have to create something that's going to fulfill a need, right? So in, you know, you're trying to create a, a new piece of art, a, a new book in a certain genre. And when you're creating a product, you're trying to, to meet something also that, that meets a need. Mm-hmm. And you've got to build it and shape it you need, using very similar similar tools, you know, where, where you might do market research in, for marketing and, and product development. You're getting feedback from beta readers and a content editor and your agent. And you're kind of taking all of that through the process of, of bringing this concept to life in the form of a product and then marketing it as such. So I think when people start thinking of, hey, their book is not just this work of art, it's a product that has to be marketed and packaged and distributed, you know, it, something clicks. And, and I think it's helpful to think of it that way. I think it's hard for people to think of it that way because, you know, literature is art, you know, and you don't think of uh, Renoir going around on Facebook. <laughs> you know? But if you cannot think of it as I'm not only going to write this, but I'm going to promote it. Then you may not get a chance at a second book because you may not sell enough of the first book, no matter how good it is. So that's what I've come to learn. Yeah. Yeah. You can't forget the promotion. It's a critical piece of, of the puzzle. Well, tell me what this latest book is about and how the idea came to you. And, and you know why did, why did you feel so compelled to write it? This book is about Lauren Leo who is 41 years old. She's in the advertising business where I don't even know where I got that idea. I must have been up all night for that one. She lives in New York. She's successful. She has plenty of friends. She has a nice apartment. She has a family. But the thing, she's the family she came from, she's close with. She wants to get married and have her own family. And, uh, She goes to a camp reunion of the camp she went that was named after a rabbi to give you an idea of the kind of camp it was (laughs) and meets a guy that she kissed behind a bunk in when she was 13 years old. He's now 39. And in camp, he was short, but now he's really tall because he stands on his money. So he um, they get married. They're going to get married. There's going to be a wedding. And at the last minute, he texts her sister while she's standing there in her wedding gown that she dieted down to a size 12 for because she's also a total foodie, not in the sense of someone who enjoys good restaurants, but in the sense of someone who eats at home alone all night. And she's standing there in her size 12 wedding gown, and he texts her sister and says he doesn't want to get married. The book is the aftermath, okay, of what she does to change her life and to realize that maybe what she wanted, thought she wanted wasn't, you know, wasn't exactly what she needed. And she goes on from there and she's got a very dysfunctional Jewish family, not as dysfunctional as my own, but <laughs> getting up there. 
And she's got weight issues. She's got a mother who's very thin and likes to make comments. Like when she asks her mother what to do now that this has happened to her, her mother says, freeze your eggs and stay on the diet. So she starts eating, so, which anyone whose mother would say, freeze your eggs and stay on the diet is going directly to the M&Ms. That's right. You're hitting the hot <laughs> I mean, it's like, don't, like, just rip that bag. So um, she does that. And along the way, she meets a guy who is driving her for the ad agency because she has a car accident because she gets stoned on donuts and cracks up her car. Oh, no. So it's a comedy. So I love to take situations that are dire to someone in the sense of my first two books are about a woman whose husband is the Brazar. And he leaves her after 33 years of marriage and three grown children. And she's given up her career. And now he's walking out the door with a 32 triple D who's 22 years old, younger than her children. So she has to throw away all of her bras, which all came from his company, and then figure out what to do. My second book is about a woman who is planning her divorce of her husband, just as her daughter announces she's getting married. So she has to plan a wedding while planning a divorce, and the daughter is marrying the husband's lawyer. So I love to take a situation where somebody's like at wit's end, but now we're really going to have a good time. Yeah. Okay. It's, I mean, I, I just they hear you talking and I have visions of like Jonathan Dropper in my head. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with his yeah, work. Of course. But of yeah. Course. Yeah. You know, um, I hope it's Jonathan Dropper. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's just Hemingway. I don't know. <laughs> oh, there you go. But no, yeah, this notion of being kind of left at the altar, but then realizing that you know, everything happens for a reason. And, you know, maybe that wasn't the, the life that she should have had anyway. That's certainly, it kind of resonates. I'm sure that resonates with many people. Well, it's like, I think for a lot of people, would you consider the worst moment of your life sometimes winds up being the best thing that ever happened to you. And that's where this girl is. Yeah. In the end, she realizes that she's turned her life around and, um, Everything comes out better because it and maybe the choice she was trying to make wouldn't have worked out anyway, which considering that this guy just wants to leave her at the altar. I mean, how long would they have been married? Yeah. Yeah. It's like dodging, dodging a bullet, right? Dodging, uh, yes. dodging a bullet. Yeah. But, you know, also love that you deal with with it through comedy, because I think comedy is it's such a. I think a powerful art form and certainly much maligned as somebody who does stand up comedy. You know, people who write comedy, not necessarily the top of the entertainment heap, but comedy has the power to heal us. And I'm just curious how healing, you know, was comedy part of her healing process in the story or how how did it really work to her advantage? Well, she has a sense of humor about everything. So she's able to see the things that happen in terms of, you know, her sense of humor about it. And um, like her sister shows up doesn't come to the wedding, shows up after the wedding, plants herself on her couch. Her sister is a soap opera star who's been killed three times in the soap opera, but actually gets off the soap opera because she herself gains all this weight and they don't want her to be on the show anymore. And she just can't move her sister off this couch. And she actually thinks if the couch went on fire, her sister would sit there and ask for another diet soda. So she 
has a sense of humor about this, though, you know, like in just thinking about should I hand her the diet soda and what should I really do with this diet soda at this point? Where does it belong? Makes you laugh. And um, that's her trick, you know, her trick to keep you to, so that you really like her. Yeah. Did, did you always know you were funny? I mean, is, was this something that my, people told my you growing up? don't think I'm funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You know, when I was growing up, children were seen and not heard. Okay, like you did not have an opinion. If you had an opinion, you expressed it, your night was over. So I found out at an early age, though, in my family, if I was funny, then it was okay, you know, to say what I was thinking. And so it started like that. And then everybody in my family has a sense of humor. My sister will call me every morning and we'll talk for about 20 minutes. And then she'll end the conversation by saying, Is there anyone we left out? So <laughs> This is what I come from. I enjoy nothing better than sitting around a kitchen table, you know, talking about my favorite subject, other people. In fact, when my husband invited me to his family for Thanksgiving, I was like 21 years old and I got there and they were discussing the war in Vietnam. And I had never been anywhere where people actually discuss politics because all we ever discussed was what was going on in the neighborhood. So I think I've used all of that you know, in my humor, which is why I write, you know, contemporary fiction about the lives of families, because that's what has always interested me. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I learned at an early age that humor was a way of getting attention um, from from somebody. Right. So, you know, in our family, there was four kids. I have a twin brother who was very, very needy for a number of reasons. you say that on the air? Can you hear you saying that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He knows he's needy. To this day, to this day, he's the neediest of the four of us. And then older brother, older sister. And, you know, with such an age difference that, you know, it's Greg and Mia. And then nine years later, it's the twins. Mm -hmm. So I learned that I had to be funny in order to get anyone's attention. And I just kind of embraced it. And you hear a lot of comedians say that. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, that and and the fact that many comedians are just completely mentally unstable, which I could probably identify with to some extent. I have no problem with that. (laughs) You know, when I started speaking about my books is like the first time I ever got up in front of an audience because, you know, I was I was in the advertising business. And, you know, I did some community stuff where I might have been on a stage, but like more like introducing people. And everywhere I would go, people would go, you should be a stand up comedian. And I would say, I don't like to stand up. (laughs) (laughs) But also, I'm a writer. You know, I enjoy coming up with something and then really thinking about it and like honing it and making it even more funny. Yeah, well, that's what that's what that's Jerry Seinfeld's gift. I mean, he he will hone in on a joke, you know, 30 times in a club before it makes it to, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever theater show he's he's doing. So there's that art of writing while talking which I think is another superpower, perhaps. Mm -hmm. So Marilyn, I do have some fun questions for you. Not that we haven't had fun yet, but I'm curious, again, in the spirit of getting to know you as a person and an author, what was your favorite TV show or what were some of your favorite TV shows when you were younger? Oh, when I was younger, I liked any, this goes right back to it. I liked any show that was about a family and the more people in that family, like eight is enough, really wasn't enough for me, you know? (laughs) Anything with a 30-something, you know, 
bonanza. I mean, I just love those four guys, you know? Yeah. So anything that somehow revolved around the situation among brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers was my, I recently rewatched Donna Reed. Okay. And, you know, in Donna Reed, the father comes in in a suit and the mother comes in in the pretty little dress. It didn't look anything like my house, (laughs) but it all came back to me that I would sit there and watch this family and like just enter this family and leave 170th Street and Jewel Avenue, you know? So that's my favorite thing. After that, I do later on, I like law shows and um, LA Law. Oh, Corbin Burnson and uh, Harry Hamlin. Wow. That was a great one. But more recently, now this is my mom brag. My daughter wrote Suits. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. My new favorite law show. So, um, (laughs) you know, that worked for me. Yeah, there you go. Interestingly, I've interviewed a lot of lawyers on this show who had to leave the legal profession behind for whatever reason because they wanted to become authors. So there is definitely some overlap there between the law and writing, especially writing fiction. I think one out of two writers, especially if it's a woman, was a lawyer. Interesting. Every time I meet someone, they went to Harvard Law School. Right. And they never go to some crappy law school. Well, no, because they'll tell you, they'll tell you within two minutes of meeting you, regardless of the context of conversation, that they went to Harvard. They have to yeah. fit that in. It's yeah, like no, part of the bylaws. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, but it's amazing how so many of them unless they're all lying, went to Ivy League law schools and then decided to write books and compete with poor little people like me who went to little old NYU. So <laughs> I don't know. So we covered TV shows. What about a musical artist? Who do you like? What do you listen to? If we were going to any playlists you might have or looking at your album collection, who would we find in there? I do not have an album collection. I like music. Mostly I listen to music in the car. I'm not someone who listens at home. I like all the people I grew up with, I was in college with. I still like James Taylor. I still like Bob Dylan. As far as the current people, I really, I couldn't tell you anything. <laughs> I'm I stuck. know who Lady Gaga is. Well, there you go. I aspire, very, to, I aspire to be her. Very talented. Yeah. Even when she wears a meat dress. Uh, yeah. Very talented. <laughs> I love Bob Dylan. Just as a lyricist. I mean, what? I mean, who's better? Who's a better lyricist than Bob Dylan? I can't think of any. Yeah, you listen to the words and you're just, you know, and then his voice. But I still listen to all the people I listened to in college. And I went into college. You've got a friend was the number one hit. Oh, I love James. People would play it out the window of the dormitory. Yeah. Rocking out hard to to JT. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. definitely. (laughs) Going to Tanglewood to watch him. Oh, very cool. Very cool. How about this in terms of writing? How do you feel when you're looking at a uh, sort of a blank piece of paper or a blank computer screen? Your intent is to write something. What does the blank page do for you? Makes me go to the refrigerator. Okay. Get a Diet Coke or? Got to know. Now I wish, you know, I wish I only got a Diet Coke. I actually, I looking at a blank page, I need some butter crunch from Friendly's is what I really need. <laughs> but I get anxiety, you know, because I think writers, you know, you're only as good as the last sentence. <laughs> so, so it's sort of scary looking at a blank page. But then I just look, you know, if I can't think of anything, I'll just look around the room or look out the window and just start with something I see. And that may not be where I go, but at least I got a sentence down. Right. You know, I hear the language and the talking and the jokes in my head. I have to think a lot more about, you know, what the room looks like, what the, you know, what the, Beach looks like the, the actual scenery. 
Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the dialogue's easier than sort of yes. everything that kind of is around it. Yeah. And no, I can relate to that. And you mentioned Friendly's Buttercrunch. Is Friendly still around? I can't remember the last time I saw Friendly's. Oh my God. There's like three left where I live right down the road. There's one, there's maybe three left in Connecticut. Yeah. They all have the menu from 105 years ago <laughs> and, and the waiters are older than the menu. So. And not always friendly. Oh no, 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 no. They just want to get it on the table. what lessons about writing especially specifically writing fiction do you feel like you had to learn the hard way you know i'm i think when i started i thought which you were talking about before like every sentence had to be perfect before i could go to the next sentence i was a great rewrite 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 before i had a story down so where you hear people say oh i wrote a draft in three months okay then they spent a lot of time redoing it I wrote the draft in three years because I kept going back to, I'll go back to one sentence forever. And I think what I learned was that if I didn't proceed and get a draft down, I was not going to have anything. So I think that that was pretty much the biggest lesson. All right. And then if you had to give some advice to an aspiring author, what's some of the best advice you would give to somebody? Maybe it's your daughter who came up to you and said, hey, you know, mom, I want to be a novelist. What would you tell them? Right. Because you meet people all the time who say to you, oh, you wrote a book? I always wanted to write a book. This is never somebody who actually sat down and wrote a sentence. I mean, it's like a dead giveaway. As soon as they say, I always wanted to write a book. And then the other thing that really worked for me is I've been in writer's workshops and gone to writer's seminars, even when I was in the ad agency. Okay. I got a master's degree in liberal studies from Wesleyan, but it was basically, I used it to write my first book. Okay. I've been in a workshop for over 12 years. I like the idea of being, you got to have your seven pages every week, you know, and somebody's got to hear it. And especially with comedy, how do you know if you think it's funny, whether it's funny, it's like Jerry Seinfeld. He goes in and he tries it out and the workshop is a chance to try it out. Yeah. It's so important because, you know, writing is very solitary, but bringing it to other people and workshopping it is very important, especially with comedy. You want to hear and see the response just to get a sense of, you know, does this work? And it's objective. People are laughing or they're not laughing. Yes. Um, and sometimes you think you're reading something and they're going to laugh at line A. But for some crazy reason, they're hysterical at line B. Right. Well, you learned something. So, And also, I think a workshop, especially if you're someone who's got a day job, gets you into a community of writers, which I think is really important. Yeah. The community is important. The Mm -hmm. community is important. How about this? If you could write a letter to your younger self and mail it to that, you know, younger Marilyn, what, what would you tell, you know, your younger self in terms of, you know, advice, what advice would you give your younger self specifically? I think at this point in my life, I would say to my younger self, take it easy. It's going to be all right. It's, It never ceases to surprise me that so many people say the same thing. Really? Um, Everything's going to turn out okay. Take a deep breath. Enjoy life right now. Things are all going to work out. It's like these words of reassurance to to your younger self. I think the inner child in us needs to hear that. Mm -hmm. What would you say? I would say... uh, don't get married so young. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> don't get 20, married the eighth time. <laughs> 23 is too young to get married. Yeah. No, it's um, 
No, that's that's really meant to be funny and not not as disrespectful as it sounds to my spouse. <laughs> um, you know, I probably would say to something similar. Hey, look, don't worry so much because I'm always worrying. I was always worried about things about my career. I was always trying to get to the next level. Even when I was raising my kids, we have three 20-year-olds. We have triplets. Wow. We were so we were so just rushing for them to get to the next stage of life where we missed a lot of the cute fun stuff because we were overwhelmed. So I would just say slow down, you know, slow down and and just like enjoy what's in front of you in the moment because it's not going to be there forever. I agree. I and this agree. Is, I'm getting really deep here on uncorking a story. So, so you're making fun of this woman who gave you triplets, huh? <laughs> That's right. Yes. No. And believe me, she makes fun of me all the time. Well, you know, let's talk about where people can learn more about you, Marilyn. Do you have any website or social media that you want to share with anyone who wants to get in touch with you? Do I have websites? You wouldn't believe the websites I have. <laughs> Actually, the best place to get in touch with me is on Facebook. Because when I wrote my first book, I had I thought I didn't know the difference between uh, FaceTime and Facebook. And my agent said to me, you got to get on social media, which is another, I guess, good piece of advice for people. And um, I've still since become addicted to Facebook. So you can just find me at Marilyn Simon Rothstein. I have two accounts. One is author. And the one where the fun is, is just my personal account, which is Marilyn Simon Rothstein without the author. And I try just to have a good time. And um, I'm also on Twitter at Nouns and Verbs, Nouns and Verbs of Twitter. And I have a website, which is www.MarilynSimonRutstein.com that my daughter, one of my, I have two daughters, one of them designed for me. And it's really a fun website. So go check out my website. There you go. So website, Twitter, Facebook, all places. Everywhere. And uh, let's not forget, Crazy to Leave You is published on May 24th, mm-hmm. available at Amazon. Yeah, it's available a lot of places. But right now, I know for sure that it's available. Wait, watch this. Shameless self-promotion. <laughs> it's available for pre-order on Amazon right now. Very good. So check it out over at Amazon. Pre-order it. And of course, if you're listening to this after May 24th, you don't have to pre-order it. You can just order it. You just order it for real. There you go. Go anywhere. Marilyn, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you, Mike. it. It was really fun. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.